as we open the Word of God to 1 Peter chapter 2, hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, who asked the religious leaders of His day and time and place, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is He? They say, He's the son of David. Then why in spirit did David call Him Lord? Amen. The best the Jews could imagine was to have David back, leading their nation. We are so much better off. We have the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the majesty on high. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe... He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed." Lord, we are humbled to know that we are the chosen generation of the next verse and that we have not been appointed to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name we ask You to reveal Him to us from the Scriptures which were given to testify of Him. Amen. Unto you therefore which believe. What a difference is described in verses 7 and 8 of this chapter. Those that believe and those that are disobedient. What a great contrast that they could look at the Lord Jesus Christ performing miracles. Feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with a little boy's lunch. Raising the dead. Opening the eyes of the blind. Causing the lame to run and to walk opening the ears of the deaf. The Lord Jesus Christ did that. He said to them, you are able to tell at the sky, you are able to look at the sky and tell what the weather is going to be like tomorrow. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. You're able to tell that, but you can't tell that your prophesied Messiah is here with timed and dated prophecies and all the evidence that He was the Son of God. By His life, by His pedigree, by His mother, by His legal father. Amazing. They couldn't see. We wouldn't have seen either if it hadn't been for the grace of God. I am thankful that in chapter 1, there are two little words in verse 21 that we had to go over rather quickly, but they are powerful, important, and a foundation for what we're about to see in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2. In 1 Peter 1.21, Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ from verse 20, who was foreordained before the foundation of the world, it says, who by Him do believe in God. Those two little words, by Him do believe in God. We love the two little words, by Himself, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, where it says that we were purged from our sins by Himself. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and here it's by Him we believe in God. The difference 
in verses 7 and 8 between those who find Him precious, who are believers, and those that were disobedient, is the grace of God. It is the grace of God. And be thankful for that. The Apostle Peter is writing to these scattered Jews, and in verses 4 through 6, he is encouraging them that they have a temple and a house and a worship, where they are the priests, greater than their brethren in Jerusalem. He is explaining in verses 7 and 8 that God made the difference in their lives and segregated them from their brethren that didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verses 9 and 10, they are the true Israel of God rather than those Israelites that claimed to be of God over across the Mediterranean Sea in the land of Israel and especially in the city of Jerusalem. But we're at verse 7. We have had before us verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 is about the Lord Jesus Christ, the living stone. Verse 5 is about believers in Christ that are the lively stones that fill out the rest of His house. Remember, we are the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. It's hard to even say those words, let alone comprehend and believe them. But it says that in Ephesians chapter 1, the last two verses of that first chapter. And then in verse 6, the Apostle Peter quoted from Isaiah 28 and verse 16 in order to lay the scriptural foundation for what he said in verses 4 and 5. He was not making up words. He was not making up doctrine. It was not a fisherman gone to seed that was writing an epistle to these Jews. It was a man of God, inspired by God, and knowing the Scriptures. Before Pentecost, Peter couldn't have done this. But after Pentecost, Peter could do this right well. And he was able to explain that Isaiah 28 and verse 16 has great comfort for you Jews. So we come to verse 7. He's mentioned precious in verse 4. He's mentioned the word precious in verse 6 as he quoted from Isaiah. He has mentioned a number of things, but now he says, Unto you therefore... Christ is precious. The Scriptures said He was precious. Unto you, therefore, as a result of my arguments that I've laid out to you, and as a result of the Scripture that I've brought forth, unto you, therefore, that believe, He is precious. And we just want to examine ourselves to make sure that Jesus Christ is precious to us. Precious means to be of great value and of great worth. We highly esteem the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to make Him preeminent in this church, preeminent in our homes, preeminent in our lives, preeminent in our thoughts. He is the High King of Heaven. What aspect of a man would would delight your soul? Is it His authority? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. What else do you want to hear? Is it His sympathy? How about the widow of Nain? Weep not. She's a widow. And her only son is on the funeral buyer. Weep not. And Jesus goes over and raises him from the dead and delivers him to his mother. Sympathy. There's no measure of the Lord Jesus Christ by which he doesn't completely and totally and infinitely exceed everyone and anyone, everything and anything you've ever known. And yet we're so depraved that we can get bothered and taken down by the little things of this life or we can get distracted to be in love with the things of this world rather than with the Son of God Himself. 
Lord, it is our prayer from these verses that He would be indeed precious to us. We have prayed it already. We pray it again. And we're speaking it in our hearts that we want the Lord Jesus Christ to be precious to us. It doesn't say that His doctrine is precious. We want Him to be precious. Unto you therefore which believe, He is precious. Believers, when they grasp the position and person and role of the Lord Jesus Christ, they know He's precious. They know He's of great value and of great worth. Faith in the Lord Jesus as the Son of God is the victory that overcomes the world. 1 John 5, 4. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say as our confident ruler and the leader of our church, our bishop, and our high priest? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Thank you, Lord. Only those that find Him precious will ever forsake all to take up a cross and follow Him. Otherwise, the cost is too great to bear. The cost of discipleship is too much unless you see and know the preciousness of Christ. Then there is no cross too heavy as we have heard from our martyrs. Did they know that Christ was precious? Their testimonies spoke of Him as being precious and they could not have so easily gone to the death the way they did without Christ being precious to them. How in the world will we sell all that we have to buy the pearl of great price unless the Lord Jesus Christ is a most precious pearl to us, exceeding that. Economics, real economics says that the value of a thing is the value of the thing you will exchange for it, plus the advantage you feel that you're gaining. And for you to buy the pearl of great price, or to sell all that you have to buy a field because you've heard that a treasure is buried there. These are the examples Jesus gave. Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. You're only going to make that transaction if Christ is indeed precious to you. Is He precious to you? Is He precious? Our church should be something we're thankful for. Our doctrine and being delivered from heresy is something we should be thankful for. But most of all, the reason that, and, the, and the person that the whole universe revolves around is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, God's Son. We want to delight in Him. If Jesus Christ is not precious to you, you need to examine your faith or your knowledge of the Word of God. You may not even be born again. Seeing Jesus Christ as precious makes great saints. He's called the desire of all nations. And we want Him to be that to us. He's altogether lovely. Unto you therefore which believe He is precious because Peter taught it and the Bible had it in Isaiah. Both of them being inspired. We have it on the basis of two witnesses that Jesus Christ is indeed precious. But unto them, here's another but, unto you therefore which believe He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient. But unto them which be disobedient. There were those who disobeyed the gospel of Christ and they were the majority. If we ever base anything on the majority, we're going to be in error. The majority of the world has been wrong. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The Old Testament prophesied of the wickedness of Israel that when the Messiah did come, they would reject Him. That was prophesied of them. Repeated over and over 
in the New Testament, Paul quoted Isaiah as describing lifting up my voice to a disobedient and gainsaying people. Over and over he sent his prophets rising early. And they would reject those prophets and they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They had a farm to tend to. They had a business to tend to in Matthew chapter 22. They made light of it when they were bidden by a king to the wedding of his son. The gospel wedding of being part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected it. And so he sent his servants out into the highways and hedges to find us Gentiles and to compel us to come in. And many of us did. And we can be thankful for that. But unto them which be disobedient. The stone which the builders disallowed. Now we have this word disallowed being given to us again. It was used up in verse 4 when Peter began. And he's using it again now in verse 7. Because he's appealing to a different passage of scripture. He's now appealing to Psalm 118. But unto them which be disobedient. Those wicked men that disallowed the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejected him. Refused him accused him of doing miracles by the power of Beelzebub. Accused him of being of operating by that power. They disallowed him. But that same Lord Jesus Christ was made the head of the corner. They didn't affect God's purpose or plan for him whatsoever. Look at Psalm 118 with me. We turn to Psalm 119 often. But look at Psalm 118. Verse 22, the stone, oh yes, the living stone of 1 Peter chapter 2. The stone which the builders refused. Who were the builders? The builders were the Pharisees. They were the scribes. They were the religious leaders. They were the priests. They were the ones that were supposed to build up God's house. There was an Old Testament house. There was a temple. Jesus himself called it my father's house. You've turned it into a den of thieves. It should be the house of prayer. There was a house. There was building to be done. There were ministers that were supposed to be taking stones and then working around those stones and glorifying God through His form of worship that He had under the Old Testament. When the Lord Jesus Christ came along at the turning of the Testaments from the Old to the New, it says, the stone which the builders refused. Those religious leaders were the ones that had the highest percentage of rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us the common people heard Him gladly. The stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. Prophesied 1,000 years before the coming of Jesus Christ by David as the prophet of God. This is the Lord's doing. Who cares what men do? This is the Lord's doing. Jesus of Nazareth laid in a manger. So poor, his two parents had to give turtle doves for his sanctification and Mary's sanctification after his birth. Humbled himself to the death of the cross. Not esteemed among men. He had no comeliness that we should desire him from an earthly standpoint. But this is the Lord's doing. And is this true to you? It is marvelous in our eyes. Is it marvelous to you that God could send Jesus of Nazareth into lowly Bethlehem? He's born in a stable, laid in a manger, 
works on for his carpenter, legal stepfather or father, whatever you want to refer to him as. And he sits at the throne of glory. He is David's son. He is David's son legally by his father Joseph. He is David's son biologically by his mother Mary. And he sits at God's right hand. The stone which the builders refused has become the head stone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Those Jews to whom Peter wrote would have known all about that. They would have known that their leaders, their rulers, scribes, priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, had all got together and conspired to destroy Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Son of David. How far did their works go? Just as far as God wanted to allow them to go to take His life, which He laid down for the sins of His people. And then He took that life up again against their plans. They had guards posted at that tomb and it was sealed by the Roman government that there would be no one to violate or touch that body that was in that tomb. But Jesus, as we like to sing, tore the bars away and rose from the dead. And there was so much residual resurrection power, the graves were torn apart and other dead men came up out of the graves and went into the city of Jerusalem and knocked on doors there because of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The builders, the religious leaders, set Him at naught. And the religious leaders of our nation today would be no different about what we practice and what we preach in this church. They would set it at naught. They have their little man-made religion. The pastor of this nation, being Joel Osteen, they have their pastor. He's going to preach some sermon today, but I can promise you what it isn't about. He goes all over the map about prosperity and a social gospel, but I can promise you what it is not about. It's not about something precious. He will not preach about Jesus Christ. He has never preached about Jesus Christ. If he started preaching about Jesus Christ, instead of having 30,000 in that converted basketball arena, they'd have 3,000, then they would have 30. The reason they're there is because they don't have an interest in hearing about Jesus Christ. But it's common in our nation. There's so much more going on. You making money, you being happy, you being healthy, and all that junk. The great saints of God have many times been the poor and the base and the rejected and the despicable and the imprisoned and the tortured and the martyred. But they had the Lord Jesus Christ, so they were happy. They could sing in prison, as Paul and Silas proved in Acts chapter 16. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient. And now Peter quotes from Psalm 118, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. There was no alteration made. God didn't have to do something different. God didn't have to come up with a new idea, a new Messiah, a new son, a new leader of his kingdom. Because the one he sent was perfectly suitable and the one that he put on his throne. I know I've already referred to it, but I want to always tie Scripture together. When you read Psalm 2 and it says, Why do the heathen rage in the people? Those are the people of God. Imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The Lord is Jehovah God in heaven. His anointed is the Messiah 
Christ, our Lord Jesus. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us, is what they say. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And he goes on. He'll break them in pieces. He'll give the Lord Jesus Christ a rod of iron. He'll break them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So when we look at 1 Peter 2.7, Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. God made the difference. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned, even when it is the precious Lord Jesus Christ. By every measure, when he was on earth, he was seen to be the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament Scriptures. Even after he was gone and ascended into heaven, when Paul would go into a synagogue, how would he persuade them that Jesus was the Christ? He'd open the Scriptures, opening and alleging that this Jesus that I preach unto you is Christ. When Apollos went into the synagogues, it says that he mightily persuaded them out of the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. But they didn't obey it. And neither would we have. Because the preaching of the cross, the preaching of Christ, spiritual things are foolishness to us unless God gives us a new heart, a new mind, new eyes, new ears to see, to hear, and to understand. And He has done that. And what a difference He had made in these Jews that were so far from Jerusalem and yet part of Jerusalem. I hope you know what I mean. So far from the earthly Jerusalem, cast out of the temple of dead stones in the heavenly Jerusalem that is the mother of us all, living stones in the temple of the living God. And we are that. This little service, this little building, this small group, the followers of Jesus Christ have always been a small number, except maybe the church at Jerusalem in the days following the day of Pentecost. But the followers of Christ, according to apostolic doctrine, have been few. Unto you therefore which believe, He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected, the the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And then there's more. He now goes after Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14, Peter does, and points out that the Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rejected and refused, God still made Him the head, chief, cornerstone of the temple of God. The temple of God being the family of God. The family of God being the body of Christ. The body of Christ being the house of the living God. The house of the living God being a holy new nation. The holy new nation being a chosen generation. And on and on the terminology goes using Old Testament terms with New Testament value, and we are part of that. We are an outpost. We are already tied together with an innumerable company of angels, with the spirits of just men made perfect, and the moment of death is simply our departure, our departure from this veil, this horizon, this 
church into that church. Our spirit in one nanosecond is in that church. They're singing like we sing. They're loving like we love. And the Lord Jesus Christ is there for your eyes to feast upon Him at the right hand of God. And He's coming again to get our bodies out of the ground so that we can be there, body, soul, and spirit. Death is departure from this world of being tied to these sinful bodies. Get excited. From being tied to these sinful bodies to be by our spirits made perfect in heaven. Because all the sinful part of us is behind. We don't have our glorified bodies yet. They're coming. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and it is made something else. The Lord Jesus Christ was not only made the head of the corner, he was made to the Jewish nation a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They could not stand the origin of Jesus of Nazareth. When when Nathaniel, was Nathaniel a decent man? John chapter 1, verse 47. An Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Philip goes to get Nathanael. He says, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. What did Nathanael say? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I won't pick on any state in the United, I won't pick on any city in the United States in case someone's from that state or city. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Why did he come from Nazareth? Because he had to fulfill the words of Jeremiah. He shall be called a Nazarene. What's a Nazarene? Is that a denomination in America in the 20th century? Or is a Nazarene someone from Nazareth? Yes, to the latter part of that. Paul was considered a leader in the sect of the Nazarenes meaning that he was a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. But when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, he had no comeliness that we should desire him. His pedigree, you know, it was obscure. His, his wealth was limited. You know, he worked as a carpenter. He was from Nazareth. He was a stone of stumbling. Isaiah 8 puts it this way. Sanctify the Lord of God, Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself. And let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. This is Isaiah 8.13. And He shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. The Lord Jesus Christ would be for a sanctuary. Unto you that believe, He is a precious sanctuary. But unto them that are disobedient, He became a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, a gin and a snare, and many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. That's the way it's going to be. And that's what he was to most men. The Jews wanted so much for a military leader to deliver them from Rome and restore them to national preeminence with carnal blessings. But there were those that were waiting like Anna the prophetess 
And Simeon, the old man in the temple, they were looking for something totally different. They were looking for redemption. And when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit knew that that little baby was the Lord of glory and was the stone that was going to be the chief cornerstone of God's house and temple, they spoke to those that waited for redemption in Jerusalem. And we want to be those. And we are those. And God has brought news of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Oh, brethren, the stone which the builders disallowed, they said, we will not have this man to reign over us. When Jesus finished that parable of the pounds in Luke 19, what did He say about the men that had said that? I want to get it exactly the way it says it in Luke 19 and verse 27 this time. Verse 14 is, we will not have this man to reign over us. Verse 27 is, those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Now, do you like that, Lord Jesus Christ? You know, when we talk about the name Jesus, and we sing about Jesus, and we sing, Blessed Jesus, Blessed Jesus, 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 Blessed Jesus, like we did in the song that we began with in this second assembly, I hope that you are remembering that Blessed Jesus we're singing about is not a long-haired hermaphrodite standing at some door knocking to get in, that He's not hanging on a crucifix with some little diaper around His loins, and that He is not a baby in a manger He is the Lord of glory that talks like this. When he preaches, this is how he preaches. Before he finishes that parable, he says, and what will he do to those men that didn't want me to reign over them? Bring them and slay them before me. I want to watch them die. Can you salute that king and captain? This is way too inefficient. We have the Lord's Supper and we have baptism and we come into a place like this and we sing his praise and we adore him. And we worship Him because He's precious. And I just bring them and slay them before me. Did He do that to them? He leveled that city of Jerusalem and slew them because they had said, we will not have this man to reign over us. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This had been prophesied. The Jews require a sign. God did a market survey about the Gospel. All the big churches nowadays do market surveys. They find out what people are looking for, then they have that. You know, what decibel level works the best? Somewhere between 115 and 135. Something sort of like a jet engine if you're on the tarmac at GSP. Volume levels. They do market surveys. What do people want? Well, God took a market survey. The Jews require a sign. They want more miracles. The Greeks seek after wisdom. They want somebody that will match Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, and the rest of their philosophers in earthly wisdom. God took a market survey. It says so in 1 Corinthians 1, 21, 22, and 23. The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. They wanted signs to see power. You tell me about the Lord Jesus Christ as it's recorded in the Bible. That's power. 
All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You want power of opening somebody's little goofball bags of mucous membrane that are hanging in their forehead? That's power to you? I'll show you power. Kill the Lord Jesus Christ. And He said three days and three nights, I will come out of the grave. That's power. With so much residual power that He opened up other graves. Brethren, do you understand that little passage of Scripture? The Jews require a sign. They wanted to see the power of God demonstrated so they could believe that Jesus was truly from God. The Jews were taught to do that. If a sign ever fails to come to pass, then you don't have to fear that man because he's not a prophet of God. How many miracles did Jesus do? Was it somewhere around 76,195? Or do you think it's 499,212? Thousands of miracles. He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes. He calmed the storms at seas. He healed the blind. He opened the ears. They wanted signs. They stood in the garden of Gethsemane with them. And he said, I am he. And they all fell backward. Peter cuts off an ear. He picks the ear up and plants it back on the man's head. And they still want to take him. They still want a sign. He rose from the dead. And they were afraid that he had rose from the dead. So they paid the soldiers a great sum of money to tell a lie. But they wanted power. You know, when I, when I read this Bible, I have a captain that I get to serve that has all power in heaven and in earth. Amen. And when I face that curtain of death and its little velvet touch is approaching my nose and I can't get my next breath, I know that there is one standing on the other side of that curtain right. that already went through that curtain for me and he's there with his hand out and will take me and never drop me, not even one inch, underneath of the everlasting arms. Amen. He has all the power in heaven and earth. What other power do you want? What signs do you need? The Greeks seek after wisdom. But they consider the preaching of the cross foolishness. When we hear the preaching of the cross and we think of a virgin birth and we think of the doctrine of representation and we think of regeneration, how do you get us changed to believe the gospel? And you think through all of that? What does it say in 1 Corinthians 1.24? But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ The power of God, that's why the Jews wanted signs, but we see the power of God in unlimited display and the wisdom of God. Because the wisdom of God is not some ridiculous syllogism that might make Aristotle happy. The wisdom of God is what God did that's recorded in the pages of Scripture about the Lord Jesus Christ. What a drama. This whole thing's a drama for the glory of the Son of God. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the Word. Is there any word? Is there any part of the Word? Is there any verse in the Bible that you don't like? I want to give you a little suggestion right now. Like it. And as soon as you can like it, love it. And as soon as you can love it, obey it. You mess around with His Word, you are messing around with the vehicle that He has given us, not for eternal life, but the vehicle to save us from the ignorance and depravity of our own minds at rejecting someone like the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us this revelation. Now, if we weren't born again, it'd be foolishness to us, but we are born again. Don't rebel against that Word at all. They rebelled against His Word. They, they stumbled at the Word of God. They stumbled that He was from Nazareth. Even though Matthew would tell us, and 
let me chase this for just 30 seconds. It says that Jeremiah, it says in Matthew that Jeremiah said that he would be a Nazarene. Okay, can you find that in the book of Jeremiah? No, because it's not in the book of Jeremiah. Do we have a contradiction in our Bible or were you listening to me carefully? Jeremiah said that he would be a Nazarene, but it's not written in the book of Jeremiah. Oh, I love our King James Bibles. Oh, yes. Matthew put that in there that Jeremiah said he would be a Nazarene, but you can't find it in Jeremiah because Jeremiah didn't write it in his chapters that he would be a Nazarene. Do you love this? You know, at break time, there were some talking about why has the Lord been so good and kind to us and blessed us so much for things like what I just did with you. We love His Word and we love the words of His Word. And I am encouraging all of you, my brethren, as the ambassador of Jesus Christ to you right now, love His Word. Because if you stumble at His Word or be disobedient, we are in trouble. You are in trouble. God can blind us and cause other things in His Word to become a stone of stumbling to us or a rock of offense. Do you remember in Romans chapter 9 where Paul had to just keep dealing with questions? What then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Who would even ask that question? Remember Jerry? Remember how we worked down through that chapter? And we come up to other questions? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? That's verse 20. Verse 19 was very instrumental in my total conversion and my being in Greenville, South Carolina. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? How can God hold us accountable and responsible for disobeying him when we have never resisted his secret and sovereign will, but are always executing it like Pharaoh did in rejecting Moses? That's verse 19. The answer is in verse 20. Right. Nay, but, O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? And I preached through that a long time ago when we went through Romans. Nay, but, O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power of the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Yes, he does. Right. Yes, he does. And for us as the clay, to bark against the potter is ridiculous. And I love the terminology of the Bible. This is what needs to be preached from pulpits. This is what needs to be unleashed in Houston, is God is the potter and we are the clay. He's not the clay and we the potter, and we are getting together to speak the Word. Do you understand what I'm talking about? It's called the Word Faith Movement. If you'll speak it, you can bring it into existence. That's what Joel Osteen believes. If you'll get up every morning and say, I'm rich. He's not talking about riches in grace, riches of grace in Christ. He's talking about being rich and you'll become rich. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Disobeying the word of God. You know, there was two things to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. You could fall on him and be broken. Remember, he was the stone. Matthew chapter 1, 20, Matthew chapter 21, verses 40 to 44. You could fall on him and be broken, but if you didn't fall on him to be broken in repentance, 
changing your life, giving up your desires for his desires, then the Bible said and Jesus said he would fall upon you and grind you to powder, which he did. And these two groups are right here, right here. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. They fell on him and were broken in repentance. Then he fell on the rest and ground them to powder. The last clause, whereunto also they were appointed, is the doctrine of reprobation. The doctrine of reprobation is a theological term. Reprobate and reprobates are both in the Bible. Yes, they are taught there. The word reprobate means someone who has been rejected by God. Reprobation is the opposite of election. It's the complement of election. If you have election, you've got to have reprobation. In order for there to be election, then a choice was made of some out of a larger group. If a choice of only some was made out of a larger group, then those that were left are reprobates, they're rejected, and it's called the doctrine of reprobation. It's not a very popular doctrine today. I doubt if it's being preached in very many places at all. But look at what it says. Whereunto also they were appointed. They were appointed. Well, didn't those people ever have a chance? Every man had a chance. The best chance that you can possibly imagine, and do you all know where I'm going and where you should go when someone says, doesn't everyone get a chance? In Adam. Adam was the best chance you can ever have. Adam scored on an IQ test so far above you, you wouldn't be able to figure it out. You've never met anyone like Adam. He lived in a perfect world. He didn't have a sin nature. There wasn't sin in the world yet. He had a perfect wife. He only had one commandment to keep. And you want to think that you, coming into this world with hundreds of commandments to keep, and a sin nature in a sinful world with sinful parents, and a television that they got for you as a kid to help babysit you, you're going to do better than Adam? Every man had a chance in Adam. And so when it says this, God was through dealing with the nation of Israel. All the opportunities He had given them and privileges He had given them, they had squandered them, and He had appointed them to disobedience by the offensiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that very offensiveness about Him is what makes us love Him. We love the things about Him. That to you which believe He is precious, but to them which be disobedient, and they were appointed to that disobedience. Does it bother you if the potter takes the same lump of clay and makes some vessels to honor and some vessels to dishonor? Be careful of how you answer that question. Does that bother you? That the potter takes some of the same clay, the clay of humanity, the clay of the Jewish nation, and makes some vessels to honor and some to dishonor. What if God? What if God? This is true about God. What if God, willing, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And, thank you Lord for an and, and that He might make known the riches of His glory and the vessels of mercy which He had afore prepared unto glory. Even us, whom He hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Some of the Jews, some of the Gentiles, vessels of mercy, vessels of glory, for Him to shower His glory upon them for eternity, and vessels of wrath, that He might make His wrath and His power known to the universe. You know, these Arminians that feel sorry when they hear the doctrine of reprobation, why do they see God's rejection of Satan as altogether fine? 
and dandy because it doesn't involve them. All they're thinking about is their skin. And so they hate the doctrine of reprobation. Many other verses could be raised. It's right here, whereunto also they were appointed. I've given you Romans chapter 9. If you go into verse 9, just a few words, it says, but there's an inspired disjunctive, meaning there's a contrast, being between those, the contrast between those that were disobedient in verse 8, and these believers are back again in verse 9. Ye are a chosen generation. Notice, it's God's choice that made the difference. It's God's appointment that made the difference. They were appointed to disobedience. The others were chosen to be God's generation and a priesthood. If any people should have ever understood and appreciated reprobation, it should have been the Jews, don't you think? Because their whole nation was based on election and reprobation. Election of them, reprobation of all others. Of all the families of the earth, I've only known you. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. Of all the nations of the earth, I sent my scriptures only to you. Psalm 147, verses 19 and 20. After all, God chose Abram of all the men on earth to walk with him and rejected all others for the same privilege. After all, God chose Isaac and rejected Ishmael and six other sons of Keturah. Have we been over this before in Romans 9? After all, God chose Jacob over his twin brother Esau while they were both in the womb of Rebekah before they had done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand. After all, God had chose Israel of all the families of the earth and to reject the rest. As I close this sermon, if you find yourself resenting reprobation, I first of all ask you to humble yourself in the light of Romans chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, that he is the potter and you are the clay, and you better shut up because nay but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Your question is out of line. You do not have the right to ask that question. The first response I give you is that, and I've already given it. Let me turn to a different response. If you find yourself scared by reprobation, if you find yourself scared that you might be one of God's reprobates, appointed to disobedience and appointed to wrath, a vessel of wrath, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Run to Him right now and believe on Him. Believe that He is precious. Believe that He is the Son of God. Believe that He was born of the Virgin Mary. Believe that He was in the grave three days and three nights. Believe that He rose from the dead. Believe that He's seated at the right hand of God. Now that's sufficient proof that there's no reprobation near you. If you will believe those things and change your life to match them, make your calling and election sure, because if you've made your election sure, then reprobation is not near you. Because election is the opposite of reprobation, and reprobation is the opposite of election. If you do not believe on Him, but live for yourself in this world, if you do not believe on Him, but live for yourself in this world, you justify the doctrine of reprobation. There is no such thing as men truly coming to Christ that were ever rejected. Ever. So believe on Him. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Because only those that are elect of God will ever truly come to Christ 
and believe on him and order their lives, change their lives by repentance and obedience to match the word of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you make your calling and election sure, there is an abundant entrance that shall be ministered unto you into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Unto you, therefore, that believe, he is precious. Our goal for today and the rest of this week is to find Christ precious. Amen. And to go to these verses, to think on these verses, to think about Christ, to go look up, he is altogether lovely, whatever it takes for you to face the Lord Jesus Christ again and know he is precious and to believe on him and obey his gospel. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.